Back to the football freestyle. I'm Emory Hunt, the czar of the playbook. And as always, I'm joined by IW of Do You Music. That's D-U-E-U Music. You can check out his latest two albums, About Time and Season 2, on iTunes. Also on his website at doyoumusic.com. Follow him on Twitter and on Instagram at doyoumusic. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at fballgameplan. On Instagram and Facebook, it's footballgameplan, one word. Also, make sure you subscribe to the Football Game Plan Network on YouTube at youtube.com slash football game plan. If you miss any one of our podcasts, you can subscribe to the Football Game Plan podcast on iTunes, or you can find all of our shows archived on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast. Man, that, that Howard Huntsbury song is just in my head. That hey, That's a dope song, man. It really is. And first of all, let me just say this in case they – Want to sum up what just happened. You just need to know that football game plan is deep on the internets. Man, listen. You can find them anywhere. If, if it's on the internet and it's about football, football game plan somewhere around it. The funny part, man, about, about this Sleepless Weekend song, that was 1988. And if you check out the video on YouTube, it's a hilarious video. Hilarious in the fact that it's set in 1988. So not that it's hilarious and funny as a comedy, but just looking back at those times and seeing how you know, these videos were made in the storyline uh, of a video like that, Sleepless Weekend. And, and it's, it's, it's such a, it, it captures time because when you look at the video, you got, I'm telling you, check this video out on YouTube. You ask yourself, could a man look like that nowadays? Because <laughs> even now, it's hard to repeat that look. So you're talking about trapped in the 80s, like, but <laughs> hey, you got to check him out. And, it, and don't let the, the, the look fool you because the voice but they had he one like, line. He like Barry White with Michael Jackson voice. They had one line in it that was just classic, man. It was he said Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday. I'm right. tired. I'm tired. <laughs> not, not tired. I'm tired. He worked all week, man. Like I'm he worked tired. all week. I've been working. And the funny and part all, is, all I wanted that weekend. He had that that 1980s job, man. He worked in a laundromat, man. So you know, by Friday, man, he tired, bro. Like <laughs> like everybody else, they just want that weekend ready for some football. Right. And, right. and, and I mean, obviously, he got a woman in the video he's trying to get with, but everybody tied by Friday, man. <laughs> by Friday, so, he's going to put his feet up, put on right? a trailblazers game. 
Right? <laughs> <laughs> and the funny Grab part is what's cool, what's cool about YouTube is that when you watch a video on the right hand side it says what's up next so on the right hand side you see LB Shore Night and Day talk about a classic from that era I mean LB Shore was one of the best to ever do it LB Shore played quarterback LB Shore was turning down college scholarships as far as I remember and that's not a joke he was actually one of the top quarterbacks in the country at Mount Vernon High School right up here in, in New York, uh, just above New York City. And, and what you're talking you, about, he turned down a scholarship to Iowa. Can, can you imagine, like, throwing five touchdowns on Friday, then showing up to the talent <laughs> show on Saturday singing ooh-la-la? Right. right. Talk about uh, – shout-out to Hayden Fry. He knew talent. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, you turned down a scholarship to Iowa, you better have a backup plan. And he damn right. sure did, man, because that's one heck of an album – is 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 sad because LB Shore is his name. You forget a lot of the albums after that, but that album is timeless because it has Night and Day. It has uh, uh, On Your Own. That's another classic. So, I mean, LB Shore drive when he decided not to play football, and his son now plays football, uh, college football. He plays for UCLA, I believe. So no wow. wonder. Hey, hey, you can't fight genetics. It is what it is. Yeah, well, here's what we have on tap for this episode, man. We're going to have to get into some tough conversations with you guys about Lamar Jackson and why he's a clear-cut best quarterback of the 2018 NFL draft class. We'll also talk about some of the most underrated players in NFL history, and we'll take a look at some of the flambe, blue flame, white hot takes coming from the major media. But first, what we like to do is call Football Frenzy, where we hit up social media to answer your questions as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, all, all that stuff like that. So let's start with the Twitter machine, iDub. The first question we got is coming from at Josh underscore Manners. He says, what college OC would you like to see or college offense coordinators would you like to see in the NFL? Because right now the NFL offenses are too boring. Okay, well, I mean, I can tell you this, and this this may seem like an easy pick based off of them winning, but I'd, I'd pick uh, Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott, either one of those guys from Clemson, because we've been talking about that offense for the past few years and how creative it is. And uh, just with all that motion and misdirection, when you take great players and you spread them out and everybody has opportunity to get the ball, then the defense really, you know, they can't adjust. And the proof is in the pudding, you know. I mean, we can't forget that, you know, the past two years, Alabama's defense has been, you know, touted as the best defense in the history of football. Like last year, had Clemson not beat them, that they would have tried to say that was the best defense in history, right? But when you're going up against stagnant offenses and uh, you come against a team like Clemson that has so many weapons and so many pieces that they move about, I mean, that, that makes your offense hard to stop. So Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott, I mean, they put up, you know, damn near 40 on Bama two years in a row. And, you know, Bama is, I mean, no no, no slight to them, but that, that speaks volumes of what type of offense is going on in, in, in South Carolina. But it's funny because people view that as a kooky offense, but it's not. They really just right. run downhill. They spread the field. They force you to defend the width of the field, and they right. also are able to attack vertically. So I agree with you. That's a, that's a good choice. I, I would look at... Um, I'll go to a guy that we we know down at Grambling, Eric Dooley. Remember Coach oh, yeah. Dooley? Of course, and of Dooley course. Dooley has been well-traveled amongst the swag. He's the OC at Grambling. And the reason why that's, that's impressive because everywhere he's been, his offenses have been dynamic, whether it was back in high school when he coached us at McMain to when he went to right. Southern, 
So now he's at Grambling. He's actually what he did last year at Grambling. Um, help him win the FCS AFCA Coach of the Year, Assistant Coach of the Year. So, again, he's putting yeah, in the man. work. His offense is spread the field. And when you talk about today's game as, as passing and, and how much people want to attack vertically down the field, his running game, because of that, is dynamic. They had a, a running back last year, Justin Kelly, that ran for over 800 yards. This guy they got this year, Martez Carter, is phenomenal. You know, so he, he is going to – the offenses he run at Grambling – and the, the amount of yards and points they put up in the FCS, which is why he won that award. So I would say he's one that I'm, I would like to see move on to the next level. Yeah, I mean, we'll, and we'll get in a little more into this player a little later, but, uh, I mean, having a quarterback like Devontae Kincaid is is really dangerous for a coach like Dooley. So, I mean, that, that makes him even more dangerous because he has one of the best players in the game running the team that he wants him, you know, running the system that he has in place. Man, I look at some other guys. I mean, you look at Neil Brown at Troy. Troy always puts out some real good offenses. Uh, Brian Waite, uh, right, I'm sorry, down at Toledo. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz at NC State. NC State offense is, is phenomenal and what they're able to do as far as how they gave Clemson problems last year. Right. And we know Clemson's defense is tough. Uh, and quite honestly, it, it may not be flashy, but I like the way Paul Chris operates his offense at Wisconsin. He went from OC to head coach, and we know Wisconsin, as good as they are running the football, their passing game oh, yeah, is, hey. is real is real unique in the sense that they build a lot of what they do uh, from a route combination standpoint from what they do running the ball. Yeah, no, here's the thing. At Wisconsin, here's, here's what they do well, and this is when you know you have good coaching. Wisconsin doesn't put too many athletes on the field at wide receiver that are threatening you, so – they mix in the game. Of course, they go to the wide receivers, but they really kill you with those tight ends at Wisconsin. I mean, if you're looking for a tight end, go to Wisconsin because they're going to work them in the, in the offense. So that's something that's always been going on, and it's still happening at Wisconsin. So, yeah, Chris does do a great job at Wisconsin. And not saying that they don't have, you know, the greatest athletes, but you're talking competitively, he, he making magic with what he has. I mean, you also look at new head coach at Bryant, um, James Perry, I know him very well because he was the offensive coordinator at Princeton. Mm-hmm. And when you look at Princeton offense, Princeton goes out there with three quarterbacks on the field at the same time. So two of them are, are really good athletes. So you don't know if they're going to run the ball or it's going to be a double pass or what have you. But they really utilize their personnel. They maximize their personnel to the fullest. I like that about a coach. And also Jeff Horton at San Diego State. And we talk about Paul Chris. But when you mm-hmm. look at San Diego State and how they're able to run the ball oh my goodness. Yeah, in hey, that hey, running game, that offense, I think San Diego State puts a lot of pressure on teams. I think even as simple as it is, just like Wisconsin, is very diverse. Yeah, no, San Diego State, you're talking about having Pumphrey leave, and then with the guy they have behind him coming back, they're going to remain dangerous. So you, you have a creative offense with dangerous running back, you're going to win games, period. Next question we got come, comes from at Jake. Kasai, 26, he asked the question, when you're scouting running backs, do you take into account the offense that they come from? Um, I, I would say this. You always take into account the offense if, that anybody plays in because I'll say this. I mean, this is, I mean, obviously I'm an LSU guy, but I'll say people don't understand that Leonard Fournette did what he did despite being in a basic offense. 
So you can see how a guy is underutilized or how a guy number may be inflated by his offense. So with the numbers Fournette put up, you know, throughout his career, he put those numbers up in the offense where everybody knew he was getting the ball. It was, you know, 33 gut on two every every other play. So, you know, it it, it is what it is. So off, offensively, when I'm watching the running back, I'm taking into account if you're in a spread offense, if you're running through gaping holes and you're not having to make a man miss until you get to the safety 17 yards downfield, I take that into account. But the most, the thing you look for in a running back is this. What can you do when a play is not there? Because anybody who you hand the ball should be able to run straight down the lane. So that's all I'm looking for. I'm looking for plays in which you are doing things when there's nothing there to be gotten and you still getting yards. Every running back, I mean, we, we live in a day where everybody gets, you know, infatuated with power. You can power is a, is one attribute, but it's more about can you create and get out of something when nothing is there. So that's more what I look for, and of course vision, being able to find your lanes and get to your get to your holes and all that. But the the the, the most special backs are those that when nothing is there, they still can make a play. Well, that's the funny part about it because I, I always tell people focus on the traits that you see with the tailback because you see guys. We grew up where, well, you know, watching college football and going through the NFL draft, where you heard people knock running backs that came out of option offenses, right? But right. when you look at guys that came out of option offenses, Amon Green, Rashawn Salam, Lawrence Phillips, uh, Ladainian right. Thomason, those guys were great running backs despite coming from an option offense. So you could focus on the traits as opposed right. to what offense they're running in because vision is vision is vision. Speed right, is making speed. people miss is making people miss. Like, that's the thing. Breaking tackles is breaking tackles. Like, you know, it is what it is. I, I, if you have 11 people on the field, as long as they're competitively after you. Now, there are sometimes, like, say, for example, what's the kid's name from Texas who supposedly had the most yards in the history of football? Well, that's what I was going to bring up. That's the counter-argument because it brought up your point of watching a guy run through gaping holes. That's Jonathan Gray. Yeah, Jonathan Gray. I remember hearing about this kid coming out, so I put on his tape, and I'm literally watching the tape, and, I mean, he's making some people miss downfield. He's, you know, he's not average as far as a sad player or concern. But when I'm watching his tape, literally, he's not doing anything that anybody with a lick of athleticism wouldn't do if they were given his same opportunity. So I didn't see any plays of all the yards he had. It was very seldomly. I'm watching his highlights, and I'm going, wow. I'm not, that just, just wasn't happening. I'm watching his highlights saying, man, okay, wow, that was a good run. Man, that lane was wide open. Man, look how small that dude is that's chasing him. <laughs> right. Like that's that's the stuff that was jumping out at me. It wasn't nothing that he was doing. So and then it, you know, proof is in the pudding, he get to Texas and pretty much disappeared. And that's not hating on the man in his career. I was just about to say that there are times when um you know, you put on the tape and is it's just obvious that the guy is not doing anything special. And so when I looked at him, that was that was a thing. And he got to Texas and, you know, he, if, if, if it was what it was, he, he, he would have stood out at Texas. And I, I literally thought that Malcolm Brown was better than him. I put on Malcolm Brown tape. I remember watching uh, Malcolm Brown in the high school game that came on ESPN, and he had some spectacular runs. Now, he doesn't, you know, he's not flashy, but he's breaking tackles, stiff arm and cutting back, you know, doing things that an average player doesn't do even though Malcolm Brown isn't you know the most flashy or explosive player he was making plays that made me say okay I, I can bet my money that he'll play ahead of Scott and sure enough that's what happened 
you look at another question we have from at 11 Bravo 138. Uh, this is a, it's funny. He asked this question, but it was also already one of our topics. But we try to you know keep some players off this list. He asked the question: What are your top ten underrated players of all time? Uh, underrated all time, I, I would say this one of one of my top players would be Robert Smith. That's the uh, running back from the Vikings. Uh, he was a guy that really made running back look easy, and he he did it in a way that he was getting yards and. You didn't understand how he was breaking the tackles he was breaking, how every week he was busting another 60 or 70-yard run. I mean, dude rarely got caught from behind, you know, was decent between the tackles, just was an overall great player. And, I mean, he retired early and, you know, walked away from the game unexpectedly when most people would, you know, play out their career to their on the downside. He kind of walked away before that happened and pretty much disappeared from, you know, the, the talk and the – the hype of being in one of the best, but uh, I think Robert Smith. So when I see him on TV and stuff, you know, you gotta you gotta take what he say seriously because this dude was a really really good player, man. Like beyond good. But it's funny though, man, because injuries do end up hurting a lot of these players. I mean, you look at Billy Sims. I think he's very underrated. Um, right. Five years in the league, got hurt in 1984, but he averaged over five yards a carry. Uh, well, I think one rookie of the year with the Lions, and actually. They didn't get better at that position until they got Barry in 88. So Sims was there from 80 to 84. Then he got injured. They didn't go to the playoffs since. They get Barry in 88 and become a better team. And so Billy Sims, Fred Taylor is vastly I don't know why. It's funny about Fred Taylor. They say you constantly hear Fred Taylor was hurt. Fred Taylor was hurt. But he finished his career with over 11,000 yards. So I don't understand where all this. Yeah, it's hard to do. And he scored a lot of touchdowns. Um, and also Herschel Walker, man, again, right. it's the oh, Pro Football goodness. Hall of Fame. If you count his USFL yards with his 8,100 that he has in the NFL, this guy yeah. would be, I think, fifth all-time rushing in the NFL. So, well, yeah. What you're sleeping on is that you could call Herschel up right now and he could add to them stats. <laughs> right. That's what you're sleeping on. Old, you know? so, <laughs> Put Herschel in the shoulder pads right now. Give him a helmet and a chin strap. Call up a team. I also don't get why uh, Tommy Nobis of the Falcons, linebacker, you know, is one of the great college football players at Texas, goes to the Falcons, becomes an all-pro, pro bowler, um, one of their best linebackers in history, but he's not in the Hall of Fame. So Nobis is very underrated. Leroy Butler is underrated. I mean, he made safety yeah. play look like he, he, he did it the textbook way. Uh, um, another secondary player is, uh, I would say, Asante Samuel. That, that's a guy that... I always say this, if you're a cornerback, I just want you to catch the ones that come to you. Everybody going to get beat. I want the guy that's going to catch the ball that that hit him in the hand. If you do that, if you can give me the ball, give my team the ball back six, seven, eight times out of the year, personally do that, hand my team the ball, or put a few in the end zone. Like Asante Samuel was a real deal for a long time, man. That dude... Had a lot of turnovers. He he. If the ball was in the air and he was on that side, you better not throw a slant his way because he gonna take it. That's what I don't get, man. People are so anti-ball hawks. You mentioned Asante right. Samuel. He is one. Um, you know that it's sad that he is retired, but right. You know this is a guy that finds the football. Give me those guys that find the football constantly. A guy like Ken Riley that I think finished his career with the Bengals, but finished his career with like seventy intercepts, but he's not in the right. Hall of Fame. So hey, what about hey? I, I I would say also, man, Sammy Knight, man, from the Saints, man. This dude, 
You talk about for like a good five or six year span, he personally led the league in forced turnovers, intercepts, fumbles, everything. Like like Sammy Knight was a dangerous dude on a bad team. Like that dude literally. And, and here's the thing. And also remember, he also like smashed the uh, the thought that you have to have blazing speed to be effective in the sec- secondary. Like Sammy Knight was not the fastest player, but he could get to a ball, and that's all that mattered. And as far as tackling, was a short tackler and also came up with all kind of fumbles and for, I mean, just a ball magnet. It is what it is. Well, I also like Eric Allen, cornerback of the Eagles, too. I think he, his game vastly underrated. You, you never hear his name brought up with some of the top cornerbacks in history, and he's definitely one of those, those cornerbacks. I also think uh, from a quarterback position, Trent Green quietly oh, yeah. had a very solid career with Kansas City. And we never know what he would have did with that Rams team. I know it's, right. you know, helped springboard Kurt Warner into a Hall of Fame career, a questionable Hall of Fame career. <laughs> uh, but Trent Green was actually really good in his own. Actually, he was good in college. At Indiana, he was a real good athlete. So um, Trent Green, and, and I have to put these Saints linebackers on here because I think they will be the next in line for the Hall of Fame. We saw Ricky Jackson get in. But Pat Swillen, right. I mean, sack hey, master, Pat, Pat Swillen and Sam Mills, were listen, two outstanding listen. linebackers. Pat Swilling, when I used to practice football, my three-point stands, I, I wanted it to look like Pat Swilling three-point stand. Like, he, like you watch Pat Swilling get down the three-point stands, you already know you're in trouble. You can't get in that three-point stands without being no gangster. Not <laughs> like Pat Swilling. Pat Swilling was coming, man. And the strip sack. I mean, I mean, people don't understand at this point in time, like the only player better than Pat Swilling was Lawrence Taylor. <laughs> right, that's true. Like, I mean, it, there's, there's a, like, there's a, a video, fact. there's there's uh, audio of Bill Parcells using Pat Swilling to motivate Lawrence Taylor. It's like, oh, well, you're not like that guy down in New Orleans. You know, they got a right. real linebacker. You know, so that's <laughs> right. pretty cool. You know, so that's how right. good so, Pat Swilling. And then he left cool. New Orleans because people thought he was a product of Ricky Jackson, Sam Mills. He goes to the Raiders and still gets the Lions well, and gets double-digit sacks. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, Pat Swilling was a real deal, man. That dude. And also, once again, showing that you don't have to be 280 coming off the end. You just got to want it. You got to have you heart, you know. It, and right? so, and that's something you can't really <laughs> quantify. Of, of right. fabricate. This next question comes from at Jim Metrics. What are some of the top prospects in the Mountain West Conference? And I like the Mountain West Conference because it has a lot of really good historic programs, teams that used to be in the old WAC uh, conference. And we remember a time when the Mountain West was, you know, 16 teams, and now it's down to, right. to I think, 10 now. But, um, there's some really good talent out there in the Mountain West Conference. One guy in particular I think that's not being talked about a lot is Trayvon Henderson of, of Hawaii. Safety with ball skills, I think he can play free or strong. He can cover tight ends, one-on-one, some slot receivers. And when you have ball skills, that's a guy I want on my football team. And Trayvon Henderson of Hawaii has that 6 feet, 200 pounds. I think he's going to be a, a very good prospect uh, that we're going to start to talk a lot about as the season rolls on. Well, the, the guy I really like is uh, Rashad Penny out of, uh, out of San Diego State. Uh, this guy, he's just in that situation where you are a backup who is of more than starting quality, but the only reason you're not starting is because you're behind a great player. I mean, we've seen that historically. You had uh, Barry Sanders sitting two years behind Thurman Thomas. 
even recently you've had uh you know Darius Geis sitting behind Lennon Fournette and LSU won't miss a beat with him at running back and this guy uh, Rashad Penny is just uh he's an amazing player he's uh well built he's uh explosive the dude has multiple skills meaning you can rely on him to catch out of the backfield uh the guy even returns kicks on special teams uh and, you know, as far as the running back goes, between the tackles is his game. And if the players block right, he's going to score. You know, some some guys on a play that's blocked well might get 12 or 15 yards. If this guy, if the players block well, this guy's going to score because he has the vision and the explosiveness to kind of take it the distance from anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I like his game, man. He's just a smooth runner, and I'm excited to see what he's going to do uh, as we move forward, you know, with him getting full season carries instead of not, splitting time and also not yeah. returning kicks like he did uh, when Pumphrey was there. You also look at another guy out there in Devontae Boyd, the wide receiver from UNLV, 6'1", 185, really good hands. I just think that even if they put the the, the redshirt freshman in there who's going to be kind of like Cam Newton uh, once he mm-hmm. gets to play, I forget his name, but he's a really good prospect. They have a really good one to throw the ball to in Boyd, and Boyd, to me, catches everything thrown his way. He He definitely has the hands that you want at the position. Yeah, and and here's another one. This one is a a kind of controversial player simply because uh, Josh Allen from Wyoming, the guy, he has NFL talent, no doubt. The guy has a hell of a arm. The guy is uh, not afraid to throw the ball in there. I mean, he he'll he'll he won't hold on to a ball because the man is covered. But uh, the thing is, some of these scouts are looking at this guy and saying he's the number one player you know, coming out and all this stuff. And we always say this, as a quarterback, you don't lose game. Like, if, if he was that good, they wouldn't lose. And you go through his, his game logs, the guy has a, a few bad games and a few games where he did absolutely nothing. So as a top prospect, you just don't see that from top prospects when you're looking at their game history. Top prospects, no matter where they play, they have not just winning records. You're talking about losing two games at most. You know what I'm saying? So the guy, Josh Allen, if you like Matt Stafford, then Josh Allen is your guy because Josh Allen has a hell of a home. But Josh Allen can make – I'm sorry. Go ahead. You got it. No, here's the thing with, with Allen. It's, it's all because he came out of nowhere, right? And mm-hmm. all of a sudden he threw a couple of nice laser shots and – then he became better than Deshaun Watson, which is dumb, wow. which is just dumb, yeah. right? And <laughs> right. So, oh, all of a sudden he became better than Deshaun Kaiser or the best right. prospect. And so they hyped this dude up. And then when you now when you hype somebody up like that, it's gonna put the the microscope. I'm gonna put the microscope on him. I'm gonna watch this right. guy play. And when you watch right. him, you're like, man, he is no different than Blake Bortles with a stronger arm. You know, you like right. his confidence, no. but but you gotta understand what you're seeing out there you can't throw the ball into bad situations i.e that nebraska game where he had what five intercepts you know yeah, no. and here's the thing when i'm watching his film the the receiver stands out more than anything because you got to remember this guy he had 28 touchdowns one receiver had 14 of those touchdowns and outside of that he had 15 intercepts that's a lot of intercepts man and and a lot of intercepts coming from a guy that will throw a ball in there so that tells you a lot of the times he's throwing the ball in there is not getting there and he's not accurate so you know it's different when you see here's the thing between here's the difference between matt stafford and josh allen when you look at stafford throwing missiles right Mm -hmm. stafford knows where to put the ball you saw this a lot where he was going deep down the field to calvin johnson um, I remember one play in particular. It was on Thanksgiving uh, Day. There was literally maybe an, an inch 
of a corner space available in the back of the end zone to where the right. safety was squeezing over top. The corner had great coverage, and Stafford was able to fire that football in the perfect right. spot. Allen throws that ball. Not only will he get intercepted, it will get brought back to the house. I mean, we talk about the Mountain West Conference. We talk about San Diego State. You're talking about right. uh, DeMonte Casey last year, the ball hawk that the Atlanta Falcons drafted. He picked him off twice in that right. Mac, uh, uh, Mountain West Conference championship game. So this guy really has to – he sees it late and thinks he can still get it there, and that causes a lot of interceptions. So he has a yeah. lot of work to do. No, and, and that's the thing. So what's sad about it is he's a good player. You know what I'm saying? It's not saying that he's not a good player, but the the hype that's around him, they need to kind of kind of squelch that hype because there's a lot of things he needs to improve upon before he's considered one of the top quarterbacks. Yes, he like I said, he has very good attributes as far as strong arm and willingness to throw the ball in there. But there's a lot of things that go on between the lines that you know the best quarterbacks. Don't lose that many games and don't throw that many picks. That's a lot of interceptions in the college football season. Well, one good prospect that comes from the next question at Rock Steel, where do you rank Ole Miss's defensive end Marquise Haynes? I think this guy is a uh, phenomenal pass yeah. coming off the edge. Hey, listen, if, if, if this guy isn't a top 15, top 10 player coming off the end, then maybe we need to get our eyes checked because, uh, first of all, he he almost killed Jalen Hurts last year. So Jalen Hurts needs to need props just for getting up, not only continuing life, continuing <laughs> right. the, you know I mean continuing the season, but continuing life. Like he he damn near killed him. Then he uh, put Dan Edlin almost to sleep. This dude comes off the edge, first step is explosive, and and here's the thing that you see when you watch him. It's just it, it goes back to what we always talk about. You cannot coach want to. And it's obvious that when this dude coming off that edge, he want to get the job done. So if you blocking him, you better be prepared to block. Because if you lack on your blocking assignment for a half second, you beat not even a half second, a millisecond, because he going 1,000 miles per hour at all times. So if you take a, a, a false step, you beat with this dude. This dude been putting up over seven, you know, seven and a half sacks since the freshman year. So, I mean, it's, it's not new. And, you know, a lot of people, the experts may knock him for his size and, you know, I'll just go back to what I say. Size don't make tackles. And obviously with him, size don't make sacks. <laughs> right. It is. It, he's so good at his ball get off. It almost looks like he's offside. And yeah, no, that dude. You know, yeah, that's something that's, that's impressive. The last time I seen a linebacker constantly look like they're offside, every play is Junior Seau. You know, right. that first step. Because <laughs> it right. seemed like he was always lined up by the tackle on the other side of the line of scrimmage and no one called offside. So, you see that with Marquise Haynes. You just want to see this year, and it's still too early to rank guys. Yeah. I know that was a question, but it's too early to rank, but you have to be impressed with what you see yeah. from and, the and defensive it, end from Ole Miss. Yeah, here's the thing. I just want to say this about him. He, his tape is much more impressive than Miles Garrett tape. Oh, easily. And, uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? So if Miles Garrett was the number one pick, this dude better go zero. Exactly. Like, that's what I'm saying. I, I'll take him over Miles Garrett to answer that question bluntly to the person who submitted that question. <laughs> uh, final question coming from Twitter comes from at CFB Outsider. And this was a question more so in response to an article he shared with us um, about David Washington, the quarterback coming from Old Dominion, who was outstanding. If you go back on our website and check out our uh film session with the czar segment i broke down his game pre-draft and this guy compares favorably to teddy bridgewater goes undrafted 
Doesn't even get a sniff from the NFL. Why? Because, you know, he played a little bit receiver at Old Dominion because they had Taylor Heineke at quarterback, who's now with the Minnesota Vikings. So he played receiver, goes back to quarterback, and leads them to their first ever bowl game in program history and also a bowl victory in the Bahamas Bowl against uh, Eastern Michigan, where he this guy is deadly accurate, right? So the question in response to the article was, why is it hard for black quarterbacks and black coaches to have success? Because the guy right now is trying to find a, a, a you know a job as a GA, um, but all the GA jobs are filled, so he's volunteering mm-hmm. right now at the local high school, um, but he still wants to play football. There's this is a multi-layered question, and I have a, I have some some interesting thoughts on this. What, what are your thoughts initially? Well, I, I would just say this. First of all, I mean this is this is not a you know a new stigma, a new stereotype, or a new problem. The reality is this: he he faces the obstacle of you know the stereotype that as a black athlete that he is lacking you know some like as far as educationally or his ability to quote unquote understand the position because that that is you know supposed to be the position of the smartest player and we see it all the time even most recently i remember you know they had the uh, big deal about vince young's wonderlick scores right the wonderlick scores didn't stop him from winning football games so you know that, that as far as we're judging somebody's educational background or their wherewithal to understand information. So it's just crazy that anytime, and it's just been proven, if you listen to how the media covers them, if they're looking at strengths and weaknesses of a African-American quarterback, they'll say, oh, will he pick up the playbook? Will he understand? Will he struggle learning the plays? Like, it, I mean, so it's just it's crazy that that stereotype is still something that goes on, you know, rampant. And, and it's crazy because, you like, and for a black quarterback to get drafted, they got to win the Heisman. <laughs> right, basically. Like, period. Like, you got to be Cam Newton. You, you, you got to be Jameis Winston. Like, you, you can't be average. And be black and get an opportunity, and it's as sad and as controversial as that sounds. It is what it is. Like, and I, I point to it again that, I mean, this is just a fact. We we are so supposed to believe that Ryan Fitzpatrick gives you a better opportunity than Colin Kaepernick, and that's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I agree with you there. You know, it's it's the stereotype that many black quarterbacks have to deal with. Unfortunately, you're going to see it this year with Lamar Jackson too. Um, oh my goodness! Oh but my goodness! I think one issue that no one's talking about, coaching is unique because a lot of guys realize, let's say a lot of black athletes mm-hmm. realize late that they want to coach, right? Mm-hmm. So, and coaching is all about relationships and all about the people you know. So, I'm pretty sure if a guy like David Washington wanted to or express that interest in coaching, you know, early on, if he really didn't want to play at the next level or knew that was probably limited. Um, he probably would have jumped into coaching right away. We've seen a lot of coaches do that, right? But a lot of guys want to play, want to continue they to just play. They're forced into coaching. They're forced into coaching, right? They don't know yeah. until it's late. And by that time they find out, then all those jobs are filled. And I also believe it's a lot due to the lack of black head coaches. So yeah, no, of course. that's the other part, too, because you tend to – it's just like any business. You tend to hire people you know or mm-hmm. whether someone has the same uh, – collegiate background so uh you know right some close references in some way in some way right you're from the same city or what have you know the same people um but the the lack of black head coaches also creates this problem of 
assistant coaches, GAs, so on and so forth. You know, equipment guys, I mean, video I mean, guys. I mean, so. I want you to understand this. Even right now, as far as David Washington trying to get opportunity, right now in Minnesota, they're trying to run Teddy Bridgewater out of town, and he led them to the playoffs. As if he died. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, it's crazy. And, and they're really – I mean, the coach said that last year – Sam Bradford earned the job. Sam Bradford threw nothing but slants and outs all year. Like, I mean, literally his yards per, per, per attempt had to be one of the worst in the league. But, but you know, if, if you, you stand know, tall, pass the ball, hit the check down, people going to think you balling. But, and, and, you know. And, I mean, was that the playoff game they lost when the kicker missed the field? I mean, Teddy Bridgewater had these dudes almost in some deep in the playoffs. I think that Vikings team would have beat that Panthers team, too. Um, right. I mean, it's they, they were good that year. And, you know, unfortunately, that's what – and Bradford hasn't been to the playoffs since. So, you're right. It's it's a unique situation. It's different. It is. Coaching is, is different because you got to you gotta know you want to coach early. A lot of the coaches I talk to, white or black, say I initially knew I wanted to coach, you know, right. and they jump right into it. So, they start the GAs and move their way through the ranks like that. But if you don't know initially – it's going to be tough for you to get in. You're going to have to start at the high school level, or maybe you have to start coaching women's tackle football or something like that. But right. we wish him the best of luck because I think David Washington should be playing on a yeah, roster. This guy listen, is talented. Listen, I'm going to say this again. We are supposed to believe that Matt Barker is better than David Washington. And if you, I mean, and, if you believe that the best players in the NFL, right? If you and, believe, and, the, if you believe the best players are the NFL, and you believe Matt Barkley is one of the best players in the world. That's the problem right there. Like, it's, it's just crazy, man. Like, there's so – I mean, we already know this. I mean, this is another thing. Like, I'll say this. Even this may be a little bit off topic, but sometimes with football game plan, you may be judged because you have a player ranked high or highly, and then that player doesn't get drafted, as if being drafted is the benchmark when the league is filled with undrafted players who are impact players. So that tells you how bad the league is at recruiting talent and, and scouting talent when you have a bunch of undrafted players who, once again, when you're undrafted, you get to pick the team you go to. So they pick out their situation and then get into a situation and succeed. So that tells you that the league is terrible at scouting talent when the league is filled with undrafted players that are starting. It's so bad is the fact that, to echo that point, last year at the start of the season, uh, week one, there were more undrafted free agents than drafted players in the NFL. Now, granted, imagine that. Only, imagine that. But, it, but it, <laughs> granted, like people, people will quickly jump in our mentions and be like, "Oh, you got to look at." There's only seven draft picks. That are like, like we get all that. But for right. the fact that a team drafts players, the, the, a league that drafts guys have to have more undrafted guys on the team, it speaks volumes. And not just undrafted guys on the team, but guys that are playing significant roles. So. You know, thank you guys for on Twitter for those questions. Now, we get a lot of questions, Cornell, coming back from the what is skill versus, you know, technique or how do you marry the two? And, and that's something that I wanted to discuss because I think a lot of people confuse talent with technique. You know, yeah. if you see talent, talent to me is, is evident. Technique is something that can be coached. You cannot coach talent 
Yeah, no, I agree. And that's and that's something we go with when we talk about recruiting players and being able to project players from looking at prep footage or whatever is that literally and, and also it's something we talk about when we have players who, like we just mentioned about, who've been misscouted and they're thought to be great players. And then when they get to the league and they struggle, then they're, they're, the coaches think that they can teach them the technique that's going to make them a better player. And the true and the, the 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 reason that's flawed is that you have to have the talent first. Like talent is talent is talent. Technique can be taught. Like for example, no matter who his his coach is, the coach did not make Tom Brady who Tom Brady is. Tom Brady has that talent. He may be taught technique, but anybody can be taught technique. And I, and we always say this. The point is this: is just like shooting a free throw. Like if you have a talent at shooting, you're going to be better at shooting free throws. If you're not a talented shooter, you can't shoot free throws no matter how much somebody teaches you the technique of how to release the ball. And so talent is just is one of those things that you – and, for example, I remember looking at a Dory Jackson's high school tape. And in high school, it was obvious that he had more talent, you know, ball skills than people in the league. And that was something that you could judge from looking at him playing as a 16-year-old. So, you know, you can't coach ball skills. You can't teach somebody how to attack a ball. You can't teach somebody how to jump up and get it. You can tell them that's the technique. You can tell them, oh, the proper technique is to jump up and get it at the highest point. But telling them and them doing it is two different things. And some people are learn you. For example, you you know how to sing before you ever learn the technique of notes. Like, so you have a talented musician or may have a voice, you know, that's that's very pleasurable to the ear before you ever know what key you're singing in. You understand? So it's like you can't make a, a average player better. And, and a lot of coaches and GMs get into that, that hole where they think they could fix an average player. So, for example, I mean, you hate to be the dead horse, but, you know, down in Miami, they've been trying to fix Tannehill's situation for some years, not realizing you got an average player. And they, they think that they could teach him technique and give him all the workouts and get him all the weapons and make him better. And that's just not going to happen. But it's funny because you could look at Tannehill and see, like, you know, physical traits. Yes. But then people will look at Kellen Moore and don't see the physical traits, but they don't understand why Kellen Moore was more successful at Boise State. They'll say, oh, because he has so much talent. But he has what – you talk about a certain talent, a certain skill to thrive under pressure. pressure and if exactly. you don't have oh that, goodness. then you can't, you, I can't teach you that, you know, I can't, yeah, exactly. you, you can't, can't create simu- that, right. You can't simulate that in practice um, because we talked about this last episode. You don't get hit as a quarterback. So, and it's funny because they, there was this discussion uh, going on on Twitter. I want to say it was Saturday night and it was interesting because you could kind of see both sides. And this is why, I think a lot of people that do this for a living, let's say in our business, media or writing, um, it, the question was posed out there or put out there, how come football talent matters so little to people when they are evaluating football players? Basically what he's doing, I think he's taking a shot at those guys that want to use certain metrics, like that some people may only use a 40-yard dash or how high someone jumps and think no. that makes them a good football player, and they would have that guy rated higher over a guy that – maybe on film is better, but doesn't have the physical talents as the guy that tested well. So why do you think that's the big, uh, why do you think those two sides constantly fight one another? Because a lot of people are into measurables, you know, a lot of people are into, you know, being this big because it looked good. I mean, obviously a six foot two, 250 pound athlete 
may look better than a five foot seven, 180 pound athlete to the eye. So aesthetically, it looks more impressive. But what we say when you play football, it's about the skill that you display with the ball. Like we always say this, size doesn't make tackles. Size doesn't score touchdowns. Size doesn't throw footballs. Size doesn't catch footballs. So, you know, size is an attribute, is not a skill. So, you know, it, it's, it's just, it, it's a crazy thing. It's, it's one of the biggest misconceptions of evaluating talent. If you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. Like, it's that simple. If I'm watching you doing it on the field, then I'm watching you doing it on the field. For example, I can go to Trendon Holiday. I mean, it's one of the smallest dudes you ever see. Athletically, went to LSU, was a danger every time he touched the ball. Went to... Uh, the NFL and was having a kick return every other weekend. Now, here's the thing. He didn't last long because he lacked the talent in catching the ball. And right? holding but on to the had, ball. And holding on to the ball. But as far as with the ball, this dude is one of the most dangerous people in the league. Now, if he had better hands, he'd still be returning kicks every Sunday, I, I do believe. But once again, just as far as size-wise, if you're just judging size, he shouldn't be allowed in the NFL stadium. If you're just judging size, but his talent was superseded his size. And we, you know, I jump back to, you know, the easy choices of Russell Wilson and all these guys and Drew Brees or whatever. But size is like literally the last thing I'm worrying about when I'm looking at a player. And sadly, in the league, that's one of the most important things, which is which is the craziest thing ever. And we always talk about the the over overvaluing the 40 yard dash. That's the the least relevant thing in football and I, and I jumped to it because one of my favorite players if you they were to lead you to believe that Jarvis Landry would never catch an NFL pass because he ran a slow 40 now this dude got the record for most receptions in NFL history in his first three years and people, so, you know, will, fight talk that, about- <laughs> people will fight against that narrative so much that they're still trying to say well he only catch short passes how is he really affecting the Dolphins chances well, I tell you this: if their quarterback was able to hit passes deep down the field, they'll see how right. good this guy can be. That's the other component too. People will look at forty times and think that determines who's going to be a deep threat. They would think yeah. Stephen Hill is more of a deep threat than Jarvis Landry, but it's not about your speed; it's about what you do when the ball's in the air. Yeah. That's what makes you a deep threat. Yeah, and you know, me and you had this personal argument about Beckham and Landry. Like, I'm one to argue that I think Beckham has, I mean, Landry has better hands because he's more reliable. They both make the spectacular catch. But Jarvis Landry, one-on-one, is one of the hardest people. Like you say, on the deep ball, he don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if he's running a 4-7 when the ball in the end is him and the man and the choices to go get the ball. That has nothing to do with running a 40-yard dash. So, you know, it's just, it, it is what it is. That's one of the most slept-on players. And he, once again, shatters that stereotype that you have to be some speed demon to be a successful receiver. That's just, that's nonsense. If you can get open, you can get open. Running a straight line is something that rarely happens in football. It's funny, man. And I know, uh, just to put a nice bull on this topic, but I know you're a big Barry Sanders fan, right? Right. Oh, my goodness. And yesterday, (laughs) but yesterday was his birthday, right? And it was so funny because NFL, uh, their Twitter account tweeted out some highlights of Barry, some of the best runs he's had in the NFL. I was like, man, imagine how many yards he would have ran for, how many ankles he would have broken if he was 5'9 and a half and not 5'8. Right. So you see how stupid <laughs> right. people sound. I know, that don't make sense. You know what I'm saying? So, but we get it, man. We get it. People will hang right. to their narratives and things like that. But we'll take a quick musical interlude break and be right back with more of the Football Frenzy. I'm sorry, the Football Freestyle here on the Football Game Plan Podcast Network. Do you wish 
sorry to disappoint you. I'm not a battle rapper. I don't have the time to try to battle actors. I'ma let these clowns grind their battle axes. I'ma only kick the shit that matter at you. So just let the focus begin. When watching TV, you gon' only see what someone else then wrote with a pen. I hope and pray you're peeping game and go and quote this again. Dog, I only want you focusing in. Your mind opens and then you can go collect your tokens and yen. Music is a mind state from penny loafers to Tim's. Briefcases, back bus, CC takers, blunt smokers, and friends. I want you to fall in touch with your sin. Who that? I'm starting to feel unbeatable. I'm sick with this rap shit and truly untreatable. You know I rap shit that's truly unbelievable I gotta maintain keeping my business on the need to know You heard me, these are some things that you need to know I'm always in my lane and stay aware of other vehicles The double, I hold it down like a strap It's D-U-E until I'm down on my back and that's a fact Sorry to disappoint you I am not a battle rapper I don't have a time or state of mind to try to battle actors I'ma let these clowns walk around and grind these battle axes And welcome back to Football freestyle here on the football game plan podcast network what you just heard was a song by our own iw called battle rapper man i like that song what was the the motivation behind that track what you know where you got that inspiration to produce battle rapper uh, i i could say this um that song just came about because that's one of the things that's kind of like new and popping these days. A lot of people do battle rapping and all that. And a lot of people at points in time ask me, man, won't you do some battle rap, blah, 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 get in the tournament and do this and all that and yada, yada, get your name out more and blah, blah, blah. And my, my biggest thing about it is that it's just not in me. It to, like, it's like, it's pretend rap to me. I don't, I don't have it in me to be sitting down writing raps about somebody that I don't know, you know, and like, like literally that's what it's all about. Like, let's, let's rap about each other and clown each other and say things, you know, that we don't, you know, like I just, I don't, I don't have it in me. And secondly, like I just don't have it in me to have somebody all in my face, you know, <laughs> spitting and pointing and all that. Like I, you gotta be built a certain way to leave, allow that to happen. Like I don't play like that. So it's just it was just one of the things that okay I'll explain to people why you know I I'm just I don't knock it I like it I watch it I think some of the dudes cool like for example my little brother do it he awesome at it you know what I'm saying and it's one of the things that he does that I literally just couldn't do like knowing my own nerves or whatever so there's no knock on it as far as like oh I don't like it I appreciate it I watch it even you know I remember when Eminem dropped what movie that was uh, 8 Mile mm-hmm. I used to I mean I one of my favorite movies because I love all the battle rap scenes you know what I'm saying so it's not like I disrespect it but personally it's just it's not my thing based on who I am so that's kind of what that song addresses I feel like I, I have that whole mindset with the entire rap music scene nowadays i just you know you know and i you don't have to call people up i'm uh, you know i just look at you know a lot of these rappers that people are saying is hot you know like chance the rapper uh i thought the migos was one dude but come to find out is three you know then you got two chains then you got five chains all these other all these other rappers that that's out there one they all sound the same the music whack the beat selection sometimes be terrible and right. people like literally, even some of the best rappers of this era, so to speak, not this era, but this generation's quote unquote best rappers. So mm-hmm. like your J. Cole and your Kendrick Lamar, right. it, they're average to me, but they're the best of an average era. 
You know what yeah. I'm saying? So they're not necessarily top rappers, in my opinion. I just, I just find this love. And, really and here's the thing. Now. Here's the thing. And here's what you like about them, which is something that kind of makes them kind of sustainable. Is this? Is that? And and it works for everybody. Is that you? You feel like at least those guys are being themselves. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's something that is easy to see. Like, man, I just, I just hate when I turn on the TV and I'm looking like like a carbon copy of the last thing I just saw. Like, and it's like everybody, you know, nobody is original. Nobody wants to be themselves. Everybody's scared to, to, to tell a true story. Like, and you know, I always talk about that. That's what makes me mad. Is that I mean, you listen to rap, and as far as you know, none of these rappers ain't ever been beat up. They didn't won every fight they didn't been in. They, you know what I'm saying? They, they like you like you don't never get. They ain't never cried about nothing. You know what I'm saying? And the like, amount of coke that's coming from overseas <laughs> see, from a connect. Exactly. <laughs> like they all got coke on a boat. Like it, you know, like is it, you know from from Pedro and Juan Juan. You know, <laughs> like so it's just such you know like like I talked about last time. It, like if you know that. You know, fake is not being real, and all you talk about is fake stuff. How could you literally sit there and say you're keeping it real? Like, that's one of the things that bothers me. And, and here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with exaggerating and having fun with your rap. But at least, you know, donate a good percentage of your music to some true stuff. And when you listen to these rappers this day, it's like 99% BS, man. Like, maybe they may make one out of every thousand songs have some actual content to it that make you feel something. You know, so it's just it is is it's sad. But that's funny because they'll look at let's say guys like us or let's say a guy like Joe Buttons and say, mm-hmm. Oh, um, you know, he just hating. You know, these old heads hating. Like, no, it's not the <laughs> fact that old heads hating. You guys just trash. You know, it's like that you know, dudes out here rapping, uh like yo, you and I got the and I got the with wizard. Right, it's so whack. Like, like, I mean, it, I mean, I don't get it. Like, like sometimes it, I'll it, sit there at the, at the computer, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna give Lil Yachty a shot, right? So hey. let me sit here and watch a Lil Yachty video, right? You know, say first I had to figure out how to spell some damn Yachty, right? Yachty, so right? Sitting here watching the Lil Yachty video, and literally thirty seconds into the song, I want to punch my screen. Right. So, no, it, I mean, it is sad that, you know, we talk about this all the time. It's just really sad that you can't turn on a rap station and expect something good to come on. I mean, maybe we of that age, maybe. I'm not sure, but I have a hard time keeping it on a rap station. Like, it's, it's I don't know, it's rough. You know, some people, you know, some people, even, and here's the thing even your rappers that are mainstream now that are decent rappers they then fall into that deep hole of then start talking about the foolishness so then none of it is genuine content you know what i'm saying so it's and then here's the thing when you do get a genuine song from a rapper it's like the most celebrated song but (laughs) that should be all songs you know what i'm saying like when a rapper finally makes a real song it's like, wow, and win all kind of awards, which it should, but that should be every song. Like, every song should be like that. Like, where are your friends? Your friends right? will tell you, like, yo, this song, whack, yo. Whack. And that's one thing that I would say our generation and before had no problem in telling you you was whack. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they would quickly get you up out the paint. And right. we're talking about rap right now, but because we could have a whole other segment on R&B because that is whack, too. Right? <laughs> right? Oh, you know my goodness. So, we no, never... What? 
Whatever happened to the innuendo in R&B? Nah, it's like, oh, I'm going to sex you up right now in front of your boyfriend. Then I'm going to go to the club. We're going to pop some bottles, come back, bring your friend, because I'm going to sex up, too. And exactly. the, you know, it's, it's and dumb. get a butt, <laughs> right. and she's going to take everything off, and I'm going to say it exactly how I'm going to Like, and your kid's listening, and I don't care. There is no innuendo. It's so bad, man. It's so bad. But shout out to all those rappers out there, man, doing your thing. You know, keep producing right. that whack music. And stop handing me your mixtapes, too. Remember dudes used to do that? They can hand you the mixtape. Oh, and you put it in for, like, you know, one one little second. And then you hear, as soon as you hit them high tweeters, eject. Throw that out the window. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to hear it no more, man. So, but But at least you got to explain why you know, Battle Rapper means so much to you. I think that's just one of your dopest songs that you have out there. Again, check the music out at doyoumusic.com. That's D-U-E-U music.com. Man, my stomach hurt, man. What you mean your stomach hurt? Man, my back hurt, man. I mean, you need to stop what you're doing. You're running around all night. You're on a flight. You're putting something in your nose that ain't agreeable with your body. And here you won't wake up and talk about it's something you ate last night. It's the red grape. Ah, no, it ain't. You need to stop what you're doing. It's the dope. The brown gonna bring you down. The white gonna keep you hype. But I like it. But no, you need to stop. You're running around. You're talking about you won't do security work. Man, you can't stay woke. How you gonna watch somebody and you can't watch yourself? You need to straighten up, get in the mirror and say, I'm gonna stop right now. But I like it. No, what you need to do is you need to straighten up, get your mind right and say, I'm gonna do what I need to do. I need to quit getting off the hill and straighten up. But you want to do everything else. You're throwing up on the carpet. You're coming around acting like people don't know. I know when you're getting down. I know what you're doing. Everybody else know what you're doing. You're scratching, you're blaming on the soap pot. Talking about it's the detergent. No, it ain't the detergent. It's that shit. You need to stop. You're throwing up. You're look-a-hooing, you're rubber-necking, and you're goose-necking. And you're talking about you want to improve yourself. You need to say, I quit. But I can't quit zigging because I love it. Man, all right. So just we got to set it, set it up perfectly first. But when you hear that, that's letting you know it's time to start some tough conversations. Man, you can't have a, a more tougher conversation than, than the wiggler. Than Ziggy had with Homeboy right there. So we're gonna have some tough conversations with you guys right now. And the first tough conversation we're gonna we're gonna have to have is talking about Lamar Jackson and why he is unquestioned the best draft eligible quarterback in the 2018 NFL draft class. I think right now everybody's trying to break their necks, putting Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, and they're going to find somebody else that that played at some school through some quick short passes and have a 95% completion percentage and put him above Jackson as well. But if we're being honest and we're having this tough conversation, Lamar Jackson is the best quarterback in the country <laughs> bar none. Wait, listen, I'm going to just say this. Here, here, here's where the conversation gets tough. I want you to replace Lamar Jackson with numbers, playing style, everything included, Heisman, and turn him into just turn him into Sam Donald. Just say if Sam Donald was Lamar Jackson, what the what the narrative would be. 
Like, I mean, this. Is, I mean, Lamar Jackson is one of the most explosive athletes, and we talk about this all the time, man. Like, you can't coach. Like, if, if he's throwing this many passes with the, with that many touchdowns, with that completion percentage, then he is a quarterback. Like, I don't like people get too caught up into oh, we want him to be the perfect passer. Okay, there may be guys who may throw a better ball in some sense of the word, just like we say Prescott may not be the perfect passer. He let maybe a few balls get away from him, but throughout the game, he's consistent enough that you can rely on him to be your quarterback. People try to downplay Lamar Jackson as if he is an incapable passer. This dude is a more than accurate passer, being coached by one of the best quarterback coaches in the game. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a ludicrous argument to think that a guy with that many numbers you know, with those impressive numbers, who is a threat to run the ball, who rarely gets hit, who has turned Louisville into an actual competitor. You know what I'm saying? I mean, obviously Louisville competed when they had Bridgewater, but I mean, they, he has took it to another level where they literally could have been a national championship game, had a few things going different against Clemson. I mean, they lost to LSU in a bowl game, but LSU had a great defense being coached by a great coach, so that's not his fault. You know, it is what it is. This guy is an outstanding player, and you know, to hear these media heads talk as if he is not even in the conversation to be the uh, number one quarterback is, is just is ludicrous. Well, because, you know, they find all kind of slights. Well, you know, the fact that he just had he just too much of a runner. Like, OK, <laughs> let's take away his 1500 yards and 21 rushing touchdowns. OK, let's just take all that away. Take and it let's away. Look at his passing 30 touchdowns, nine intercepts. Except Everybody's yeah, all American Josh Allen just threw 14 intercepts. Right. 20 of them went in against Nebraska. So, you know, it's, it's <laughs> funny how less, okay, you want to take away his rushing stats as if that's not a part of the game. Hey, so, exactly. even if you take away his rushing stats, his quarterbacking numbers are equally as impressive 8.7 yards per attempt. And, like you mentioned, he's playing for uh, Bobby Petrino. And we Wait. never got to see Bobby Petrino with Michael Vick. That's what he signed up for, right? But Vick went to jail. And Petrino left after that season. This is what it would have looked like when he has an athletic talent like Lamar Jackson in that offense, which is a passing offense, which is known as being coached by a passing guru, a quarterback guru. We're seeing someone that got better after his freshman year, put together a Heisman season as a sophomore. Why would you not think he's going to continue to get better as a junior? I think it's ludicrous that people are questioning whether or not this guy can play quarterback in the NFL as if, like you mentioned earlier, Matt Barkley isn't the starting quarterback or was a starting quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, no, here's another thing. You got to remember this this is not ancient history. You got to remember that just recently some NFL scouts try to make you believe that Cam Newton wasn't an NFL-ready quarterback. I'll never forget Cam Newton shows up at the uh, combine. He throws an out route as the first route. And I mean, I'm telling you, May, I went into a whole essay, a monologue about how, how you can't trust him. And that's, you know, that's why he don't have him as the number one quarterback. And when at Auburn, Cam threw for over 30 touchdowns and didn't have any weapons at receiver. And I'm, I'm going to say again, you can't throw that many touchdowns without knowing how to throw. And we, we go back to the other thing, like get your linebacker to try to throw a seam route and watch how it looks. <laughs> like you, like if, if he's completing passes, he's completing passes. You you can't have thirty plus touchdowns and be a and be incapable at the quarterback position. Like that is a sign that hey, not only can you throw, but you know what you're looking at when you look at that intercepted touchdown ratio. Because you can't say that they're not putting the ball in the air 
when a dude got 30 plus touchdowns. Well, people are constantly wanting to to find which stats they will hype up and which ones they will downplay because these are the same people that will tell you, hey man, you can't, well, let's say when you're talking about somebody that they like, so let's say like Josh Allen, his completion mm-hmm. percentage is, I think is like 13%, right? So mm-hmm. people will say like, well, you know, completion percentages really doesn't tell the whole story. So, of course, you know, of course. I mean, if you look at the different nuances of the game, but let's say you talk about Lamar Jackson, I mean, you can't be an NFL quarterback with 56% completion percentage. That has to be 60. You know All what right, I'm saying? Of course. Of course. So it, of it's course. funny how they pick apart as if his receivers weren't out there dropping it like it was hot, no. you know? And, and I'm, I'm going to go back to this. Hey, do you realize athleticism at the quarterback position got Jake Locker drafted 10th? Oh, my and God. He, and he was the most mediocre passer, and it was evident even in his numbers in college that he wasn't a great passer. And we say again, Ryan Tannehill went in the first round because he had a lick of athleticism along with being a passer. But then you take a player like Lamar Jackson, who is a A-plus out-of-this-world athlete, who is also a more-than-capable passer, but that makes him not capable to be a quarterback. For some reason, he should try another position. I'm going to say again, we got to remember, some scouts thought Cam Newton should have been a safety. Oh, my God. Or a tight end. And let's, oh, let's, <laughs> let, let's look at this. This is, the, this is the other side of the coin. Remember last year was, uh, well, Deshaun Watson. If he's, he he has to measure six two because if he's six one, man, I don't, you know, I don't, you know. And so now you look at Lamar Jackson. People are like, well, he better hope he's six three because uh, oh, if he's six right. two, then I, you know what NFL. I'm like, listen, I stood next to the dude at the Heisman. Again, I am at these games. I'm at these right. events. I'm standing next to these guys. So take what I say seriously. People that are sitting on right. their couch that don't go to games, that don't go to live games. Don't right. trust those people. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. So I'm standing next to Lamar Jackson. He's the same height as Geno Smith. So right. he's 6'3". Also, they talk about, well, he's skinny. He's going to get broken up. All right, fine. If you believe that, show me how many injuries he he's had at Louisville. And people right. don't understand size doesn't have anything Wait. to do with getting <laughs> hurt. Now it is. Here's the thing. And for some reason, being skinny doesn't apply to Tom Brady. Oh, this dude had the real life out of shape Batman body at the exactly. at the uh, combine. So the best of all time is literally the most fragilely built guy in the game. So what does that tell you about your makeup playing quarterback? As long as you can throw the ball and you brave enough to handle your job on the day to day, your size once again does not matter. We Tom Brady not getting paid to look like a you know a bodybuilder. He getting paid to sit in the pocket and throw the ball. But here's so, the thing too: you you look at uh, Lamar Jackson, right? People don't. I think people are really misunderstanding how strong this little dude is. Oh you my know? goodness! You see how many tackles this guy break? It's, it's ridiculous, man. This this guy is a like. I mean, I'm talking about not just somebody kind of got their hands on a tackle. We talking about running through <laughs> real life tackles. You know what I'm saying? Like full on squared up tackles. And that I will say this. And that is the only thing that scares you about his game, which was my same worry with Robert Griffith, is that and Lamar Jackson is a much more controlled runner, but in live action, it's hard to control that explosive. Uh, it's, it's hard to control that explosiveness when he knows he could beat that man. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the thing. So, if anything, you just worry about him realizing his value. And when he gets to the league, even maybe practicing some this year, knowing that it's his value to have a good season, but just to try to get down. Because I always say this about the quarterback. 
you you the most important player on the field. And the only time I need you taking a shot, if it's the last play for the Super Bowl. Because other than that, I need you on the field every play. So getting down is more important than you getting that extra five yards. So that, I mean, here's the thing. And with Lamar, he reminds me of Vince Young, is that you don't see him take a lot of shots. You don't see him. He's not a wild, out-of-control runner. But I just, that is his, his my only concern. But I'm not going to not draft him because I'm worrying about him getting hurt. Because you can get hurt on any play. So People are stupid. They'll look at his skin complexion and automatically assume he's a runner. He's going to get hurt. He can't play from the pocket. Despite right. all the film saying so, right? Oh, I mean, he got, he's going to get hurt skin tone. So, I mean, you can, <laughs> can you really trust a guy with that complexion to not get hurt? As hey, if dudes don't get hurt in the pocket on a consistent basis. Didn't, um, matter of fact, Cam Newton got hurt in the pocket. Russell Wilson right. got hurt in the pocket. Right. Like, it, it is what it is. It, I just, I'll say this. I remember watching Louisville play in that bowl game. Lamar Jackson throws a swing pass, hits the guy in stride, in his hands. The guy drops the ball, and yet the announcer starts talking about, see, this is why Lamar Jackson struggled. He struggled on his mid-range uh, passes. And then the next play, Lamar comes out and throws like a seam route on a rope to a covered man like 45 yards down the field. Now, this is the same man who got blamed for his player dropping the ball. Next play, and then the, the, guy, the guy say, oh, yeah, see, he working on his deep ball. <laughs> like how, how is that what like how is that reasonable coverage like he gets blamed for a guy dropping the ball and then when he throws a phenomenal pass that's because he's been working on it not it's not because he's a great passer it's because he's working on it the other tough conversation we have to have with, with people out there man and, and this one is going to hurt people to the core we probably won't be able to go to chicago for any time in the near future <laughs> right but jordan howard and i have to set mm-hmm. this up properly because jordan howard um, if you don't know, he finished with uh, 1,500 yards last season. Um, not 1,500. That, that's, you know, that's too much. He finished 1,300, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you look at what he was able to do, this is a guy that started at UAB. You know, they shut down their football program, which they now return back to. Glad they're back in college football. Um, but they shut down their football program. He transfers to Indiana. And then last year as a rookie, he was drafted in the fifth round, and he rushed for over 1,300 yards, 5.2 yards a carry, and six touchdowns, and, you know, put up impressive numbers, made the Pro Bowl. And people instantly says Chicago Bears have solved their running back problems. They tore up my mentions when I said Tariq Cohen is the best back on the roster and he should get carries. And people think that I was – or thought that was crazy by saying that and saying that you're really underrating his game. No, I'm not. His game right. is average. And quietly, people will point to his stats and then point to Ezekiel Elliott's stats and say, how is how come Howard isn't being talked about like people are talking about Elliott? Well, there's a big difference in what Elliott brings to the table as opposed to what Howard brings to the table. All right. No, here's the thing, man. How, it, I mean – it also, once again, goes into that conversation of mis-evaluating talent. Like, he's in a situation where you look at his numbers and you think, oh, he's doing a great, you know, he's he's putting up numbers. Yeah, every running back on every team in the league is expected to put up numbers. They're all not great running backs. He's doing his job. Like, you put on the tape, the dude isn't doing anything spectacular. He's making decent runs. Like you, even you could have the draft a hundred times, you'd never take Howard in the first round. Still, 
if, if teams were drafting tomorrow, I, I don't think this dude would be a first-round pick just based off talent. It goes back to what I say, like, what can you do when nothing is there? He's strong. Yeah, you know, he's tough to bring down, but every most backs are strong and tough to bring down. Like, the guy, Tariq Cohen, I mean, the Bears, I promise you, this dude going to have way more highlights than Jordan Howard, and he going to be the backup. So, as a backup, I, I'll go on record and say that Tariq Cohen will have way more highlights than Jordan Howard if he's given an opportunity. Because this dude, I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is, not hating on Howard. Howard is a decent back. Yes, he's strong. Yes, he can run. But that is expected of every player in the league. To say that Jordan Howard is like a top 10 back is is just it's, it's not it's not legit, not even, not even close. Shout out to the Bears offensive line, too, because we went back and watched the film just to make sure we wasn't hating, right? Right. You talk about those gaping holes. Right. That Howard ran through, which is okay. That's fine. You only can run where the, the, the block he is. Plays. You know what I'm saying? So it's not a knock that he's running through gaping holes. It's the knock that through running through those gaping holes, he gets caught. He doesn't break long runs. If you put Cohen in that same situation, those 16-yard runs or seven-yard gains turn into touchdowns. Right. And no, hit- Howard only has six touchdowns on the season. No, and, and here's the thing. When you put in the tape, there's some game, and here's the thing: if you Howard is is this simple. Even in the secondary, he doesn't have the agility to make somebody miss in the open field. Like he's out there just running in the safeties. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> you, you need to make that man miss. Like you, you like you have to have some type of agility because we all know this: every play is designed for you to beat that one man. So when that one man in there, you need to beat him. And, and Howard, you know, like he, once again, not saying the dude is not a capable running back. But as far as going in a conversation and saying he dangerous and he one of the best, and no, man, he had a good year. Many backs have good years. Many average backs can put up a 1,300, 1,400-yard year. If you, you know, run, ha- doing your job and things going well and things being blocked right. But, you know, talent-wise, man-to-man, like, Howard can't carry Cohen weight at all. Like Tariq Cohen, man, I, I'm gonna say this. I wish I was a Bears fan right now. I, I would be so excited to see that dude. I, I, I would anticipate every punt, every kickoff, and every time he got in the game. Because he's liable I, to go for a touchdown. Right. And here's the thing. He, you know what we say? The biggest fear with Cohen is that they're gonna pigeonhole him and make him into a trick player instead of just handing him the ball. We saw people ruin C.J. Spiller career because of that situation. Oh, you know goodness. what I'm saying? So, oh. And, again, just to juxtapose Howard's numbers with Elliott's numbers, Elliott ran for, granted, more carries, but Elliott ran for 1,600, which led the league, also averaged 108 yards a game, and had 15 touchdowns. 15. Yeah, and not only that, yeah, how many big plays does the Zeke make on his own where you see him breaking tackles, making people miss on the second level, getting through the arm tackles of the secondary, you know, making linebackers missing the hole to get there. Once again, Dallas does have a good old line. They run a good system. But a lot of those runs, Zeke, you know, that Zeke Zeke the real deal, man. Like, he, he a special player, and he was, you know, like I say, I always say, ask Nick Saban about Zeke Elliott. Man, and listen, the final tough conversation we have to have with people and this will again will cut people to the core (laughs) (laughs) but this is this one we only deal with when it's coming around draft time when everybody talk about safe picks drafting an offensive lineman in the top 10 is legit a bad idea tell us why hey hey, listen i'm gonna just say this 
linemen don't get your points. And here's why. And I'm going to say this. You need a line. Don't get that twisted and say, oh, you, you, you could just have any Joe Blow on the line. But the reality is this. I need the best touchdown makers before I need anything. Because on any given play, blocking, literally you need to get in somebody away for a second or a half a second. And on a standard run play, if I can't get a 300-pound a, a something lineman in the third or fourth round that's decent enough to block for a half a second, something wrong. Or for two seconds, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'll not, let me say this, as a Saints fan, I will never forget when Willie Rove got hurt and Daryl Terrell had to come in and literally I got a clear understanding of how important the left tackle was. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> Daryl Terrell literally sent Grant Winstrom to the Pro Bowl, but we talking about he was replacing Willie Rofe, who was one of the best. You know what I'm saying? So Willie Rofe proved to be a dominant lineman, proved to be worth a high pick, but those are far and in between. Man. It, it, like, I'm going to say this again. M, how many games did Joe Thomas win the Browns? Exactly. I mean, how many games did Jake Long win the Dolphins? Like, I mean, you can just look through the history of top tackles. Like, I mean, I'm sure Jacksonville had drafted a few linemen top high in the draft. You know what I'm saying? Even back then, the Saints were terrible, and we had Willie Rofe, though. We had, we had Kyle <laughs> we, Turley. We had Chris Neoli. We couldn't win no games, but we had a good lineman. We didn't have no playmakers, <laughs> but we had a decent line. Like, so that, that – I mean, that's the biggest thing, man. Like – I can understand taking linemen if you have the playmakers. But my, my roster would never be void of playmakers, and I'm taking linemen. No, I need people who can put the ball in the end zone first, like, period. Like, I, I can find – I mean, I hate to make it sound that simple, but I can <laughs> find somebody to block. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's hard to find that person that can jump up and catch and find that person that can run and make people miss. Them hall, I can find somebody to block. Like that's you can't just, even that's... name anybody on the Patriots offensive line or Packers offensive line, right? right? And now, look, it would really confirm that for me. I was watching that uh, NFL Network. They were doing a special on the Cowboys line and just showing how some of them dudes was undrafted, some of them dudes was late round picks, and then they became the most famous line, one of the most famous lines in NFL history. You know what I'm saying? Blocking for Emmitt Smith. So, I mean, just prove that, man, you can find linemen. Like, and, and we always say this, the pace rule. Like, <laughs> right. if, you, if, if you're not pancaking somebody on every play, <laughs> right. like literally not giving up, ever getting beat, then, then really I'm just not that excited. Like, pace, you can understand. Like, pace really legitly was about to win the Heisman <laughs> <laughs> as a lineman. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And deservedly, like, like I mean, people don't understand. Like, he really invented the pancake block stat because he kept doing this so much. But if you like, just so mirroring and, and tap dancing, playing the piano yeah. against a defensive end, I'm not taking – yo, look how Johnny Manziel got both of those tackles from uh, Texas A&M drafted yeah. real high because exactly. it gave the illusion that they were really blocking. When those guys on the opposite end, those defensive ends, wasn't rushing because – they don't want fly up the field against a mobile quarterback. So, in turn, to the untrained, terrible scouting eye, you're going to think, man, we need to get Luke Jokel. Right. Like, I know. No. no. I, I mean, think about this. I mean, just think about I, – I, I wish I'd have pulled up more stuff on this, but the kid from the Rams, right? He went number two, Greg Robinson, and they just got rid of him. Like, how you take up somebody number two and then a year and a half later, two years later, you don't want him. Safe man, pick. you know who you could have got with the number two pick? Safe, you know what I'm saying? Safe, like I mean, literally, I just I I'm gonna say again, like even I I mean, this go way back. We can go here, and this is even defensive tackles. 
Like, you have to be Warren Sapp or Sue for me to take you in the top 10. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'll never forget, I just couldn't understand how Dan Wilkinson went ahead of Marshall Falk. Like, never. Like, never. There's no defensive lineman on the planet Earth <laughs> that I would take in front of Marshall Falk coming out of college. Period. No lineman, no defensive lineman. I want them touchdowns. I want them touchdowns. Give me that dude that can score them touchdowns. Period. Well, see, when you get that space eater on the inside, <laughs> on that interior... You know, <laughs> yo. Let's 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 move on to some some more questions, some more social media questions in football frenzy. This time we're gonna take to Instagram, and this question comes from at Mister Underscore Simo. Should the Saints really be excited about Adrian Peterson on their team? I'm gonna say this. I mean, I mean, you know, we keep it real. We don't hide where we're from or who we support. Like, obviously, we call it how we see it. I'm a Saints fan by nature, but I always keep my objective glasses on. And there's this. The Saints don't run the ball, man. Like we we've seen this this movie before. Like I mean, we've had Mark Ingram, who literally has been the most underutilized weapon in football over the past five years. Like this guy, Mark Ingram, has sits on the sideline while we throw the ball fifty times a game. And so, while we should be excited to have Adrian Peterson, the 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 recent history would let you know that the coach is more into passing, you know, 80% of the time. So it does you no good. And this is what makes me so mad because when the Saints were at their best is when you really had to fear their run game. And running by default creates play action. You can't fool nobody with play action if you don't run. Like, you just giving them more time to sack the quarterback. Like, nobody biting on the Saints play action because we don't run. So, you know, as a Saints fan, like, I, it, it, this is how whipped I am by our head coach that I have trouble imagining Adrian Peterson highlights. And I and here's the thing. I, I'm not one of those people who think Adrian Peterson has lost stuff. He cold until he show me he not. I, I still believe Adrian Peterson is Adrian Peterson until he show me he not. But I'm so whipped down by the play selection of our coach that I have no expectations because I just have the same feeling that when you check the box score, you're going to see Drew Brees with 47 attempts. And total team attempts for the Saints might be 16. So, where he going to get his carries when there's Mark Ingram and Kamara on the field? Man, that's the biggest question. He's not going to run the ball. So, it's not going to even matter if it's Adrian Peterson or Bo Jackson out there. Sean Payton will give those attempts to Drew Brees. And Mr. Simo asked the second question. Um, again, this is all coming from Instagram. He says, there are 64 working quarterbacks in the NFL. Are we to believe that 63 are better than Kaepernick. Now we talked about this last episode, so that the simple answer for that one is hell no. Right. <laughs> so like we said before, Cap could go right now and start for Jacksonville and lead them to the playoffs. The Jets, the Jets actually have some talent at the skill positions. I think they could be competitive if they had a quarterback. So the Rams. So I think Kaepernick right now could legit be a starter for those three teams, even San Francisco, um, right. and lead them into the playoffs. So they're not Here's 63 the better quarterbacks than Kaepernick. No, here's the thing. Even with, I mean, we say this and we mean it. Other players are getting new deals, renewing, being, I mean, and what's going on in Chicago is mind-blowing to me. But what's so crazy is when you look at the, 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 the void of talent on San Francisco roster compared to the numbers Kaepernick put up last year, you would think he would have been a hot free agent. The dude didn't have bad numbers, like, at all. His intercept touchdown-to-intercept ratio was phenomenal on a team that was terrible with no weapons. Man, 
because man, you, when you when you look at the game from a analytical standpoint and see his splits in you know certain situations, like dog, it's BS how they try to knock this man um, right. as far as his skill set. He should definitely be on the team. This question comes from at Rod Simba. He asks, "What are your top HBCU prospects for 2018?" Well, one dude in particular, uh, I'll, I'll stay in the in the uh, in Louisiana. Southern's quarterback Austin Howard, I think, is the best pure passer in the HBCU ranks. Even you can even make the case in the FCS. The way this guy plays the position, he's calm, he's decisive. The ball goes to where it needs to be. He's been productive every year. For the Jaguars, they just can't get over that Grambling hump because Grambling has gotten better. But Austin Howard, but here's the thing. People will knock him. People will, He will probably not get a shot because he's 5'11", but he can bowl. You know, he has some of the best passing skills I've seen um, coming from that level uh, in the past two seasons. Well, I'm going to say this. The reason why he can't get over the Grambling hump is because of Devontae Kincaid. Like, you put this dude tape on this, you watch him, and you really watch him, and you say, man, he throwing that thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what it looked like when he let that ball go. Like, he throwing that thing. Like, some, like his uncle taught him, taught him how to throw, and he took it seriously. But I'm going to say this. Kincaid literally, Grambling was a tough, you know, hard to beat last year, almost won all their games. And not only that, this dude is phenomenal as far as running the ball. So he's a threat, has, you know, I would say – a minus the A plus footwork as far as as a runner, but when you have a quarterback who's that dangerous, under control in the pocket, who can also take off and you know, at any moment almost give you that Russell Wilson type aspect, uh, Devontae Kincaid is one of those players who definitely is better than many quarterbacks on NFL rosters today. Yeah, he reminds me so much. He's like a, a, a black Jeff Garcia. You know, right? no, exactly. guys out there balling and is able to make things happen. <laughs> I've seen him play live at the. Uh, celebration bowl and he was out there you know doing his thing keeping rambling in the game because they were facing a tough defense in north carolina central hey and and that's a perfect comparison because tell me when jeff garcia threw the ball you were like man he's throwing that (laughs) 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 like when jeff garcia let it go you like oh he's throwing that thing (laughs) like that's what i see when i look at that dude next question came uh, uh rod simba asked another question he was like who would be the next HBCU coach or alum to earn a front office position a la Doug Williams? I'll tell you this, though. It, you know, it's tough to say that because, you know, Doug Williams is, a, is an older guy, so you have to think in terms of who right now is on the cusp of retiring from uh, currently as far as coaching is concerned, who wants to go to the NFL. But I've seen, and I know I'm biased here, but I've seen my homeboy, former college teammate, do his thing coaching and I know he wants to go into that, move into that role. And that's Elvis Joseph, who's the running backs coach at Southern. Um, he mm-hmm. played with the Jaguars uh, in the NFL. Played after he left you all, he transferred and went to Southern for that year. Balled out with Southern, but he's he's able to coach. He had he coached up uh, Leonard Tillery, um, who came to Southern as a walk on and left as the all time leading rusher in SWAC history. You know, well, I'm a, I'm, and so now I'm he's with the Rams. No, listen, I'm gonna just say this that. Whatever you say about HBCU, they have to understand. Like they say, when you're at these games and you know these people, like football game plan is at these games. So if, you, if you're if looking for the next best coming from any of these colleges, 
whatever the Zaw tell you, you take it as law. Because a lot of people say they scouting because they, you know, saw a few YouTube clips. Like, no, this dude is actually at these games to see these players. So, and to meet these coaches and to know these guys and have relationships with these guys. So, uh, I, I take that seriously whenever you make a suggestion like that. But I will say this. If I had to project forward as far as um, – who can move into that role? I mean, I met so many good coaches this past spring. I can see Broderick Fobbs being mm-hmm. someone that that has a temperament to be a, a scout, or not a scout, but a, a GM. I can see Jerry Mack, um, coach at North Carolina Central, being someone that can move into a, a coaching role, head coaching role at the NFL level. Latrell Scott at at uh, Norfolk State can do the same thing. He is a great football mind. He coached at many different places and has success everywhere. Um well. You also look I at bet. Oregon State head coach Fred Farrier, who is going to their their team this year is going to put together some great uh, offense. They got the Mississippi State quarterback transfer Stanley. He was a six seven quarterback. Now he's at Morgan State. So I've seen even um, Reggie Barlow. You know, is a is a guy that we remember playing with the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. He's now the head coach at Virginia State. And I think when you take all of that into totality, you have to like that. You know, the the guys moving forward. So. You know, down the line, those guys I can see being in the NFL. Even someone like Buddy Pugh, who's the long head coach, longtime head coach at South Carolina State, he has he's a great defensive mind, um, mm-hmm. and he's more along the lines on you know he's toward the end of his career, but someone that I can see probably working in an advisory role in the NFL, somebody like that. Yeah. And next question we got comes from at control underscore alt underscore delete one. Um, she asked the question, do you think we'll see women play in the NFL and will a WNFL be created or a high school or college football women's team? That's a great question. I, I think we have to start moving in that direction. We're already seeing you know, women playing college football now. They're, they're kickers, um, some Division One, some now at the Division Two level. But we're starting to see more women you know, get, into the, get into college football. I would totally like to see, and I'm saying this as I'm leaving for Salt Lake City tomorrow to go be the color commentator for the IWFL uh, title game, uh, women's tackle football title game, that women's tackle football, if given the chance to develop, if people put money behind it, it can be just as great of a sport as we're watching you know, men's football. Hey, no, listen, this is one of the things that I think is one of the most under – underutilized or unknown thing that is out there. I would love to see women play tackle football, real life tackle football. I think they don't understand what the market is out there. Like I think it's a huge market. Football is football. Do I think women should play in the NFL physically? No. I mean, just obviously with all sports, they, they separate men and women just off of physical traits. Now, not saying that women aren't physically capable as men, but there are some dominating factors that come in when you're talking about playing a physical game like football. So, but competitively against each other, I would love to see a women's league get as much, you know, props or as much coverage as a men's league because I think it's just that it would be just as much of a source of entertainment because I know, I mean, literally just the leagues that you cover when you go to those games, man, those girls are outstanding athletes, man. Those women literally, I mean, like I say, they have some women that have better hands than some of these guys in the league. Some of these women have more pocket presence than some of these guys in the league. So it, it, it's a fact that there are women out there playing real-life football. And I think it's kind of a slight when you get to these lingerie leagues and all that different stuff kind of, you know, make it, 
like it's some type of play game and make it take a backseat to what the real sport is where there are really women out there who really play football for real. So I, I, I think there should be a professional women league that, that gets just as much coverage because I think it could be a big attraction. That's a great question, man. I really would like to see it, see it progress that way. And our final question from Instagram comes from at Samford underscore PR underscore guy. Who is your top teams in the SoCon this year? You know, I just put out the SoCon preview. Um, I'll tell you right now, Citadel with that option attack, Wofford with their option, um, and Samford, the Bulldogs, with their passing game. And we saw Samford have three top receivers uh, leave the team. But, uh, you know, due to graduation, one guy right now is playing with the Cincinnati Bengals and Carell Hamilton, who was the standout receiver last January at the East-West Shrine game. Um, but, I mean, those are the top three, in my opinion, and since you're an LSU fan, y'all see another very good SoCon team uh, early on in the season at Chattanooga. Now, they may not have the defense <laughs> that Chattanooga had last year with the dude that played in the Senior Bowl and another guy that um, should have been drafted as well, another edge rusher, but their secondary is tremendous. They got the best secondary in the SoCon. A guy in Lucas Webb is going to be an NFL draft pick. Um, and uh, Montreal Pardue, if he's back on the roster, I know he was dismissed for the spring, but he's another NFL prospect. Their quarterback is tremendous. They got a quarterback that's a senior, Alejandro Benefield. Keep him on the list. That that guy. So they got they got talent, but they lost a lot of pieces on the offensive line. The guy that got drafted. Um, their defense loses Keonta Davis, who's that NFL stud. Um, so last year, I I would have said they had a chance against LSU, uh, but this team won't hold up against LSU. Although they'll be game, but I do like Citadel, Wofford, and Sanford. Uh, coming out the SoCon this year. Right, but let me just interject by saying this, though. Just based off what you just said, think about all the prospects you just named from that team. Right. And that goes to show you that they're great players everywhere, man. And that in the NFL, you shouldn't have p- bad players on your team. Like, and, and, and imagine there are plenty, plenty of mediocre players in the NFL. And it just goes back to that main point that we discussed today is that you know, a lot of players go undrafted, and, and being undrafted is not a reflection of how talented you are. It's a reflection of how bad the scouting is in the NFL. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate because, again, there's a lot of talent. The SOCON is a very tough conference. Uh, Citadel lost one of their NFL draft picks, um, D. Delaney, who was going to be the top FCS player. He was a He's a graduate transfer, so he left the Citadel. And now he's going to be playing his last season with the Miami Hurricanes, which tells you how talented he was for them to pick him up. So, you know, we'll we'll take a quick musical interlude break and be back with more of the football freestyle.
and welcome back to the Football Freestyle. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook, joined as always with IW Man. That, that song right there, man, the message from the Soul Sisters, that, right. that's one yeah. of those classics, man. They worked on the James Brown, too, so. Listen, that, that song played for a half a second, you bobbing your head, so you can't miss with that one. You got to get up off your feet, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so James, James knew how to pick him, man, but. You know, we're here on the Football Freestyle, and we, we're having some fun on this episode. And we got to remind people, man, this was something that we're, we're going to talk about regardless. But we had the question about our 10 underrated players in, in the NFL, in NFL history. But we feel as though a lot of guys nowadays don't understand how cold or how nice a lot of these players were back in their day, man. So we're going to throw out some players that, you know, were, were talented that probably should be in the Hall of Fame some guys that probably were a little bit before their time. But the first person I think people need to know about, man, is Sterling Sharp. Oh, hey, Sterling listen. Sharp, you know what? Here's the thing. and If Sterling Sharp doesn't get injured, you know, we're talking about him as one of the best in, in the NFL. He was the best in the NFL. He played from 88 to 94 in his numbers. Let me read that off. Uh, finished his career with 595 receptions. 8,100 yards receiving, and 65 touchdowns. His last season playing in the NFL was 94. He led the league with 18 touchdowns. And keep in mind, he only played with Brett Favre, 92, 93, and 94. Right. No, listen. Not even 92. I'm sorry. He played In 92, he played with uh, the Magic Man, Don Mikowski. Right. No, I, I say this and I mean it. it it's, it's sad that Sterling Sharp is known for NFL matchups. Like no, people need to know that Sterling Sharp really was like like there was Jerry Rice and Sterling Sharp. Like there even Chris Carter, you know, who is a long vet, like he was known for having hands. No, if Sterling Sharp didn't doesn't get hurt, Sterling Sharp is known for having the best hands. Sterling Sharp, I mean, literally caught everything. And we always say this, it's just a natural thing that this dude caught everything with his hands. I don't think a ball ever hit his numbers. This dude, like, literally was snatching passes. Uh, and then, like you say, once he got with, with fall, Green Bay was a threat in the playoffs immediately. You know, just a just a different team. He had a quarterback that could get him the ball, and he was a receiver that could go get any ball. And once again, also, you know, debunking that, that theory that you got to be super fast to be a great receiver, you know, or, or any other – of false theories. But yeah, Sterling Sharp is somebody that every kid put on some Sterling Sharp highlights if you want to see a great receiver. I mean, and he did play with Favre in 92. That was the year he uh he led the league in receiving with 1400 yards and 14 1461 uh, and also led the league in touchdowns that year too. Uh receiving touchdowns with 13. So, you're absolutely right. This guy was I remember two plays vividly about Sterling Sharp. The playoff game against Detroit the game right. winner, oh my you know, when Fall scrambled out and threw it yeah, deep down the field, that one, and the game in the Superdome against the Saints where Fall scrambled out. This was, I think this was in 93. Fall scrambled out and found Sterling Sharp. How do you leave Sterling Sharp uncovered? And found he got behind the defense and caught the game-winning touchdown against New Orleans. And that's when New Orleans was in that free-fall stage where the Saints used to start 5-0 and and finish 8-8. Eight and eight. So right. <laughs> they lost the green. They lost the Green Bay uh, because they gave up that deep touchdown to Sterling Sharp. And he was a. Even if you go back to his South Carolina days, he was a, a kickoff returner. He was a big, solid dude. He's only six right. feet tall, uh, about two hundred and ten pounds, but he was so fast and so shifty. 
and people really don't understand how great of a receiver. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Wait, listen, the, the other player that needs to be mentioned is uh, Warwick Dunn. Right. Simply because, I mean, and, and this guy, when you talk about numbers, he has the numbers. But what people don't realize is that he was totally underutilized his entire career. Like he he was one of those that just beginning that phase of oh you got to be two twenty to get the ball a certain number of times in a game. So you know Warwick Dunn used to su- su- like succeed a, little, a lot of touchdowns to uh, all stat. He used to give up a lot of carries to him, and there was always this thing about questioning his size. Yet he was dominating at Florida State, breaking all kind of records there. Then when he got to the league, whenever he got the ball, he made it happen. Then when he got to Atlanta and he had Vic with him, that was just, I mean, they were breaking records with that rushing attack that they had with Warwick Dunn and Vic. So, I mean, Warwick Dunn, you put on his highlights once again, just put on some footage and you'll see some things that you're just not supposed to see. You, you see a player that is far beyond average. You know what I'm saying? Warwick Dunn was a spectacular player. And I guess just because he wasn't a 20-carrier game back and not because he couldn't be it's just that the team didn't ask him to do it that kind of hurt his career and kind of took a lot of his spotlight because mike allstock got a lot of pub for the mumbling bumbling boom 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 <laughs> but yet warwick dunn got him 80 yards down the field you know and now allstock gets all the highlight you know all the credit with the touchdown not hating is a good thing but it's just one of the factors that leads into this dude being slept on by a lot of people and Warwick Dunn was only 30 yards short, uh, 33 yards short, uh, shy of 11,000 yards. Right imagine now, that. Right now on the all-time rushing list, he's 22nd right behind O.J. Simpson. I mean, imagine it. 11,000 yards when you barely getting the ball. <laughs> Like eleven, like I mean, tell me this: What was his attempts per game? What's his career attempts per game? That's a good question. It was on average fourteen point seven. So he getting the ball fourteen times a game. Come on, man! And he finished with forty nine rushing touchdowns. And you're right, man. Had he been given the football, and you saw it in Atlanta when he started sixteen games, the only time he started sixteen games, uh, consecutive games, two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand six. All over a thousand yards, all over four yards of carry, um, with 2005 being the best year where he ran for 1400. So, wow. again, and even that year he was getting the ball 17 and a half times a game. So, you're right. We we probably aren't aren't giving him his just doing how great of a he went 12th overall in the first round. So, wow. right. Know, and but staying but staying with, with with a Florida State prospect, Charlie Ward. You know, oh my goodness. And it's a shame because he's one of those guys that was before his time so had charlie ward come out this year or this time around he'd be teddy bridgewater right you know what i'm saying so we didn't get a chance to see charlie ward play in the nfl because of the stupid dumb nfl he's at the time black quarterback Back, he's only six right. two he's not six nine you know right. but watching him play the position is exactly what it looked like uh, uh, looks like when you watch Teddy Bridgewater play the position. Yeah, no, I, I was a big Charlie Ward fan. I, I, I would say again, it was just one of the first times where I couldn't understand how he wasn't going to the NFL as a kid. I was like, wait, what do you mean Charlie Ward not going to the NFL? And I didn't care that he played basketball. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't care that he was an NBA point guard. Like, no, that dude should be in the NFL. And, you know, like you say, different time, different era. Another one, uh, and again, you know, I'm a, you know, go here because I, 
I grew up a big Georgia Bulldog fan. Even while I'm playing with the Raging Cajuns, I always had my eye on what was going on in Athens. Wanted to keep an eye on what was, you know, what the Bulldogs were doing, right? But Garrison Hurst. All right. Oh, my God. You know, we saw people remember Garrison Hurst in the NFL, but they don't remember him at Georgia. And they don't understand that the one they saw in the NFL with San Francisco was two times removed from ACL surgeries, two knee injuries. So they don't remember what he was like coming out of Georgia. You know, yeah, he no, was up like, there with Marshall Falk. Yeah, no, here's the thing. I, I mean, I was about to give him even a compliment just as good. I was about to say, Garrison Hurst was LaDainian Tomlinson before LaDainian Tomlinson. That's true. Like, like that's the type of playmaker he was. Anyone on the field, never an easy tackle, always going to make a man miss, could go the distance, good. But, I mean, just a touchdown machine and a explosive play waiting to happen. So, yeah, I mean, Garrett, like, once again, that's why I love this era, man. Can you imagine these kids these days could just look up anything we tell them? Right. And, Can you imagine if we had the access to look up highlights on everybody we wanted to see? My goodness, like, Come man. on, man. Please go type in Garrison Hurst and sit down and get your popcorn. All right, because you're going to see some amazing explosiveness, man, from a dude uh, that was, you know, un- again, unfortunate that injuries took a part, a lot of part of his, of his, of his explosiveness, but Garrison Hurst was the man. So, you know, it's time, it's time for another football friends we got some more questions to get to only two coming on facebook so this one comes from nathaniel hall uh he asked the question do you think the saints made the right personnel moves to make a playoff push and will kaepernick land on the team well first i'm gonna say this you don't get better by trading brandon cooks for a tackle <laughs> i mean i i would just say that you you don't get rid of your biggest offensive weapon and then take that same thing and replace it with offensive tackle but the one thing I will say is this, and this kind of goes back into the Adrian Peterson question. The one thing that excites me about having Adrian Peterson is you would think that having Adrian Peterson on the sideline would make Sean Payton run the ball. Because you can't call 50 pass plays when Adrian Peterson standing next to you with his forearms looking like he's about to punch you in the back of your neck. <laughs> so I just, I would assume that Peyton is going to recommit to the run game, hopefully. I mean, that's just me making a a fandom assumption. But if they run the ball, the Saints will be hard to beat. And here's what gives me all the confidence in the world. And I called you up the other day to tell you this, is that when I was looking at the replay of the Saints Super Bowl, it really dawned on me that that year we went out there with Marcus Colston, Devery Henderson, and Lance Moore as our starting receivers. I mean, obviously, Shockett was tight in, and Bush played a lot out the backfield. But we weren't the most talented at receiver. I mean, Devers couldn't catch till the day he retired. Colson is a fumble waiting to happen, even though he's a big target and can catch, you know, while he's covered. And, I mean, Lance Moore was just another undrafted guy who was a – he had great hands, got to give him that. But you, you wouldn't say he's a Dez Bryant or, or, you know, some game-changing receiver. So, knowing that we have three – I mean, two great running backs. I think Kamara is a good player if we use him well and don't try to pigeonhole him into a bubble screen guy or whatever. But we have the defense. I think we made some good defensive picks. I think uh, if we run the ball, we'll be fine because the best thing you can do is run the ball and then have a player like Drew Brees as your quarterback because that's, you know, I always go back to the Patriots. People don't understand that's why the Patriots are so good because they run the ball. No matter who their running back is, they always commit to the run. So now you have to respect the play action. So 
do this did the Saints make the right moves? They made the right moves if the coach is willing to run the ball. If we still coming out passing seventy five percent of the time, we'll finish six and ten or seven and nine again. Shout out to Toledo for Lance Moore. Um to answer his, <laughs> his second question, will Cap land on the team? We talked about this before, but I, I think eventually teams will realize that they can't win with the Brian Hoyers, the Blake Bortles, the Josh McCowns, Christian McCaffrey's you know, huh. the Jared Goss, and they'll find a way to get this guy on the team. So um, the next question comes from Elizabeth Rozier. She asked the question, why hasn't there been a football hit since the Super Bowl shuffle? But here, you know what? It's funny, but I think they have been a hit. Uh, <laughs> we, talked about it, we talked about it last episode. Must be the money was a dope. Right, right. I think that was better than the Super Bowl shuffle. <laughs> Must be the money. I, hey, I would say this. I I don't know. I, I think it was just more of a, a era in the time because we've, we've known this historically. If you pay attention to the NFL film stuff that they do, a lot of teams make, you know, songs, college, whatever, whatever. I think the that Super Bowl shuffle was just so memorable because you do have the grand character of the fridge. Then you got somebody like Jim McMahon who had that type of, you know, personality or whatever. So it was more about the players and they had such a dominant team. So it was just, I think the right combination of things. So you really can't recreate that. You know what I'm saying? You got the fridge, Walter Payton, Jim McMahon, all these guys on the same team, being a dominant team, killer defense, not even making a funny Super Bowl song. And they, you know what I'm saying? So, they, they wouldn't let them dudes do that nowadays because, you know, you can't be a personality on a football team in the NFL. They'll quickly, people, oh, but what about the troops? Right. <laughs> what about the cops? Right. What about the kids? You know what I'm saying? Right. Those people will come out and be quick right. to try to shut it down. Like, because think about it, you just named three or four unique personalities, dude. The fridge, number one, missing front two. Jim McMahon was like everybody's. Uh, party dude, like you know what I'm saying. You also had a Mike Singletary that didn't play no games, you know, <laughs> and you had no. Sweetness, who nickname was Sweetness, that had a Jerry curl. So right. you can't have no, that but, nowadays. No, but here's the other thing you're talking about the times and just like the politics of the times. And I just tripped out knowing that you know they say your boy that is switches post, but say Auerbach from the Celtics used to be on the sideline smoking cigars. Before the game ended. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, that's crazy, man. So, so it is what it is. Like, uh, I mean, thank you guys for the questions. But we got to get into this segment now uh, that we like to call Meanwhile, which is basically taking what was out there in the news and talking about it because it's so stupid and right. so dumb. And, you know, you deserve to get hit with the... Sit your dumb ass down. Clip be that held accountable. Clip. You gotta be held accountable. So don't take this personal. It's only business, and we just right. repeating what you're saying. So I'll let you kick it off first, Cornell or I W. Okay. Hey, listen. So I'm gonna just tell you. I was in the kitchen wiping orange juice stains off the floor, right? And I get this text about Carson Wentz. It's an article from a writer from the NJ.com local reporter in Jersey. This guy writes an article saying that he and they had a something came out about the top 30 players in the league. And he revised that to revisit that topic about how many players on that list would he take ahead of Wentz. And he only came up with five players. 
Now, I'm not going to go over the list because I'm just going to let you use your imagination that, that he only thinks that five players in the league are better than Carson Wentz. And he on record of saying this. So I just I, I want you to know that that has been said. So you look up this article, top 30 players, Carson, and who would he take in front of Carson Wentz? This dude, when you talk about wearing some some fan glasses, I, I, I just couldn't get over that. But that's real. That, that That's a real report. Hey, who wrote that article? Uh, you need to look that up for me because I really don't know. Tell I me. just saw it's Elliot Shore Parks. So, Mr. Parks, <laughs> again, no offense, but. No offense. So, I'm rotating the tires on my jet, right? And I'm listening to the radio, right? And so I hear a fellow Raging Cajun, a former Raging Cajun, Brian Mitchell, talking about Kirk Cousins and, you know, talking about he thinks the game. That's why you got to pay Kirk Cousins the money because he just thinks the game so much and the way his mind working, you know, his his mind just breaks down the, the defenses. And I'm sitting there as I'm rotating the left tire to the other tire of the jet. I'm like, well... Does his mind work when he throwing pick sixes? Like, you know, what part of that did you miss? You cover the Redskins. So, again, it's not it's not personal. It's yeah. business. But Brian Mitchell? Man, sit your ass down. Now, what you got but look, hey, I just said, look, so I'm in the bedroom flopping my daughter blueberry muffin crumbs off the bedspread, right? And I and I got I'm got on NFL Network and they got a throwback game on uh, the the Broncos and the Patriots I think no and the Steelers or somebody it was one of them Oswald games when he was in for that little sniff of time he was in and Chris Collinsworth on record saying I see this is what I'm looking at see see this this is you see what they see because he kind of reminds you of Elway now whether whether he was making a light reference a sort of reference or half a reference. A uh, 10% reference, you don't put Brock Osweiler in the same senses as John Elway. Now, keep in mind, this one, Osweiler was fresh off the bench in the hype of the century because, you know, he's six six foot ten with the with the, with the the golden boy look. So he, mm-hmm. he had to be valuable behind Peyton Manning, right? Now, three years later, you couldn't trade him for two popsicles and an ice cube. Again. But Collins were on record saying... That he had Elway qualities. Just that's that's just meanwhile while I was you know flopping bread, blueberry muffin crumbs off my daughter blanket. Again, it's not personal; it's only business. So Chris Collins work. Sit your five dollar ass down before I make change. So, you know, it's funny you bring that up because in talking about the quarterback position, because I was out there driving back to the future, right? And <laughs> I hope I'm holding my phone up. You know, just styling and profiling and a tweet pop up coming from at Mr. Kevin Jones. I guess he's one of the writers out West um, in, at KNBR. His article says that the 49ers are paying much less than what Brian Hoyer is worth. Boy. <laughs> like, so what is he worth to him? Whoa. Like, what is Brian what, Hoyer proving? Like, yo. So, again, it's not personal, Mr. Kevin Jones. It's only business. So, Kevin Jones. Man, if you don't sit your goddamn oak-ass pistol grip chin down somewhere. Any more Any more meanwhiles you have over there, man? Because <laughs> uh, I, got, I got one more, you know. I, you know yes, I need to hear. So, I'm, I'm outside repaving my backboard, right? Because, you know, I shoot <laughs> nothing but the bricks, right? So, right. I'm repaving my backboard. 
and the Bleacher Report pop up on the screen for somewhere. You know, I'm looking in my neighbor's window and I see them on Bleacher Report and I see an article written by David Kenyon uh, talking about ranking the best passers in college football in 2017. Okay, that's fine. You know what I'm saying? I like when guys go out there and do their own work and produce, you know, those type of topics because um, it, it moves the conversation forward and it gets people involved. But I had to pause when I read this 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 paragraph. It's the first paragraph of this article. Quote, mobile quarterbacks bring the excitement to college football, but the ability to throw the ball accurately to every area of the field will always be the most coveted trait in a signal caller. So to be clear, this isn't an overall quarterback ranking. Otherwise, guys, that's talented like Jalen Hurts, Trace McSorley, Quentin Flowers, JT Barrett, and Jake Browning would also be spotlighted. Then he go, goes on to list 11 of the worst quarterbacks. And uh, I'm not going to see that because he had Sam Donald and Rosen. Right. So he had good quarterbacks in there. But you don't put a quarterback ranking together, top passes, and have Luke Folk from Washington State. In that bowl game, Minnesota blitzed him first, uh, instantly on an opening drive, and he was shook ever since. You put Mason Rudolph in that list. Mason Rudolph is the most average quarterback in college football, but because he throws space bombs to James Washington, who's one of the best receivers in the country, you think he's talented. But again... For Lamar Jackson not to be on this list. Be on the list. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And again, it's not personal. It's only business. So Hey, listen. Let let me just go here, though, before we move on. Is that you have to understand this. You can't disqualify. I mean, you can't make a quarterback list based off accuracy. Because I'll tell you this. I think Jared Goff got a great ball. Got a great arm. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's going to ever win more than five games as a starter. So, I mean, being accurate, you need the most important trait to a quarterback is are you scared of the moment or not? So, if you if you very accurate and then you scared when that moment comes, then nothing's going to happen for you. Well, the problem is they don't want to see that. So, again, it's not personal. It's only business. So, David Kenyon. Shut your mouth and your fat ass, boy. If I gave a dog a bone, he better catch it or step and fetch it. Old man Tanta, he could sleep and eat, get the message. Hand bone, have you heard? Now he ain't catch it. Give him less smoke as Garvey and more with that J.J. Evans. United we stand, divided we fall. Let's keep it tight in them pantyhose. That's two sides small. Make more ways to make a way outside rapping and ball. Until then, I'm tap dancing for a flag on the wall. And that song right there was Black Man for Sale by Nesby Phipps. He puts together some some real good music, both beats-wise and also um, with the tracks. He lays some good vocals on that as well. Good message. And we reached a part of the show, I-Dub, where it's time to kick a freestyle. So I went first the last time, I believe. I'll let you kick it off first. All right. Well, listen, so last time I, I we, we did a little football. I figured I'd give them something that I'm working on. So they got, since we're always critiquing rappers and all, I'm sure they won't know what I'm talking about. So I'll give them a little peek at something that ain't finished yet. But, uh, I, you, you, yeah, you can find this on the website. It's something called the bridge. I'll give you a, a little verse of that. It says, uh, how do I think it says my apologies. This was locked in the vault. My game's so sweet and so unique. They can't defeat or try to beat me. Haters are quick to run up on you and try to drop them some salt. 
live and direct straight off the deck in my thoughts. Instead of wishing me the best, I bet these half-steppers so upset they pray and make requests that one day I should die or wreck in my car. I place my bets with no regrets if I lost. If I should wreck it, let me second my thoughts. I paid my debts and I stayed in check with the law. And I've been so focused on my own, man, and I had my own plan to play my own hand because I've been lonely up in my own head ever since the death of my pa. I brung Uwe to the battle, baby, nothing else matters. This is the only single weapon I brought. Come on, let's take another step through the dark. We'll keep it moving, keep improving, long as we keep taking steps to the north. I'm talking climbing the ladder and hold it down for those that's climbing it after. So that's, that's a little verse or something. You can find that on the website. It's called The Bridge. Well, listen, I'm about to step to this mic to get me a piece of this pie, giving you nothing but truth, cross my heart, hope to die. Coming through real hungry, knocking analysts off their feet. This spot, I got to have it like Tim Smooth resting in peace. The yeah. game is dirty. You can see it needs a douche. Keeping you away from the truth with that agenda they trying to push. I'm not going to name some names. Best believe, best believe I can name a couple. They want less of that Kaepernick and more of that Icky Shuffle. All right. I said they want less of that Kaepernick and more of that Icky Shuffle. You may right. not get it now. You might even call me a hater. But take this message home and figure that shit out later. So as we wrap up here again, follow him on Twitter at I I'm sorry, at do you music. That's D U E U music dot com as well. Check out his albums, check out his music, follow me on Twitter at F Ball Game Plan. Share this with your friends. Vote five star on iTunes. Give us some good ratings so we can continue to produce more of these outstanding podcasts. So for IW, I am Emory Hunt the Zarda Playbook, and that's a wrap for this edition of the football freestyle. So before we leave IW, how should we leave this? Should we leave it uh, classy or should we stick true to our roots of New Orleans and bounce on out of here? No, we're going to bounce on out of here. I got you. (laughs) Let's go.